0: Man, you guys, I just imagine your family just like just connected to machines. You guys are like the future <laughs> right now. It's pretty wild. We're, I gotta
2: say, we're burning I mean, it's funny for like the all the um sort of the technical issues we've had with some of our guests. Like, we're yeah. getting some serious mileage out of some old fucking computers over here, dude. <laughs> My son is doing all his schooling on like uh a Mac mini which i think is from like 2007
0: That's awesome.
2: And then my wife was had a a laptop from t- 2009 that was freaking doing great until he dumped a, a sweet iced tea into it. The iced tea incident. In keeping with the um broken Oh it-
0: Oh, it was a sweet
2: tea, yeah, it had milk and tons of sugar, so it was like there was no
0: coming back from it, dude. even worse, yeah, <laughs> that's the worst, you know I see I saw it the you know uh, like before uh uh you know before the thing happened, <laughs> he who may not be said um you know I, I I use the basically when i go to I basically go to the gym. In order, like, I literally pay for the gym and go to the gym to have an excuse to go into the sauna. Like, that's literally, like, why I do it. I'll be, like, on a fucking rowing machine. I'll be, like, this fucking sucks. Like, how long does it take before I can go in there? But one thing I noticed, like, the young kids, like, younger people walk in there, and they're fucking with their phones. Right. They literally use their phones in the sauna now. Right. And I'm, like, you know, when you go to the Apple store, the one thing they'll never, never, ever give you back is water damage. Like, I would never bring my phone into a locker room. It's crazy. But the new phones are waterproof. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) What else are you going to tell me? That's bullshit. I don't trust it. You know what I've been mad about a little bit? I don't know if you've heard about this Last Dance documentary. You know, this big... uh, you know, basically the the last year of the, the Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Phil Jackson Bulls. Right. Uh, you know, they basically knew they had one year left as this group. It was their final championship run, and they had given unprecedented access that season, but Michael Jordan had been shelving the footage up until now. They finally put it together and it's this big deal, a ten-part documentary series that's come out. All that being said, I don't want to get into it too much. This is going off track. <laughs> but I've been really offended by like people's uh sort of revisionist history on Dennis Rodman. I'd be curious like someone like you who wasn't really that into sports but knows pop culture like Oh yeah, Rodman. What What, what, what do you like Rodman? Did you like him?
2: Yeah, I liked him. And he was the first Unless you go all the way back to uh, Joe Namath. Right. There was nobody between those two who was actually like, that I can recall, who was like a big athlete, a
0: successful athlete, but also like
2: an amazing, like
0: pop culture icon. Exactly. He's glam as fuck. And, you know, I I feel like I've been listening, you know, maybe it's where I disconnect from my uh, brethren in the sports world. But it's like I'm listening to all these guys with just like shitty beards and blue jeans and t-shirts sitting there being like, yeah, I think it was disingenuous and he was just trying to, you know, show and like get attention. And I'm like, motherfucker, you guys are norms. <laughs> yeah, You know, like you're norms. You don't get this shit. You don't understand just that need to be different. You don't even care how you get it. You know what I mean? You just like need to be independent. And when you're in such a... Um, cookie cutter whitewash sort of world like professional sports where like you're literally not supposed to say anything you know there's literally never been an openly gay athlete in any of the four sports and you had this guy jacked like hell six foot nine 240 pounds you know what i mean like right. like wearing dresses <laughs> marrying himself you know like wearing makeup uh being super glam, just doing whatever the fuck he wanted and kind of bringing this, like, cool alternative element to sports that I do think, like, freaks norms out. Oh, yeah. And even after, like, 20 years, you hear these, like, sportscasters who, even the ones who, like, think they're alternative, and then you're like, oh, okay, right, you're just some fucking norm. You don't get it. Right, right. But I like him. I still like oh, yeah. him. What a fucking, what
2: a weirdo. You can only be the rock star if you can bring it. And he could bring yeah. it. So he brought, and not just on the, in the game, but like he was fucking hilarious. Like his whole yeah. deal was, was creative and original. It was fun to watch, man.
0: Even someone was texting me. They're like, yeah, but what about the whole like Carmen Electra and like Madonna thing? And I'm like, what yeah, where else are you gonna go man is, i'm like that's <laughs> are you talking top. yeah are you talking about this guy being unquantifiably fucking awesome or something else because i don't even understand your point you know yeah like, that's royalty that's that is yeah. fucking
2: royalty right there that he, that he, Ga- he
0: guy went like. from being homeless at the end of high school to playing for like southern oklahoma state university <laughs> to dating madonna yeah. within like five years that's a good jump yeah I respect a person like that. That takes moxie. And I mean, obviously, everybody knows
2: Madonna, but like you know, there was before Beyonce. There was Madonna. Like that's right. If you don't realize how big Madonna was, Madonna. There was like you know, there was, there was year zero. Then there was Elvis Presley. Then there was Madonna. You know? Wait, we're not giving Tina Turner any love in there? Oh, no, she's fantastic, but she was not at the <laughs> at that level. I mean, Madonna at the level. owned everything,
0: you know? Yeah, and also style icon, culture icon, yeah, the whole thing. film, deal. like
2: everything. She was oh. bigger than I think people realize. I mean, I dare say she was bigger than, like, Beyonce, for sure. Maybe not bigger I mean, than the couple combined.
0: But- could you see Beyonce, uh... Playing, uh, playing shortstop for the Rockford Peaches in a league of their own? I certainly couldn't. All the way May. I love that character. Wait for the reboot. So what's funny about what we're talking about is we interviewed Frank Turner, who's English, and the lion's share of people who just listened to the last 10 minutes of what we said probably have no fucking idea what we're talking about. Oh, come on. They know Madonna. She had a British accent. We talk about the British accent. Remember, she rocked it for a while. That's true. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's a tie-in. That's pretty good. She fits right in with that. Yeah, this was a great interview. We had old friend and touring buddy Frank Turner on the horn with us from his... Disease ridden uh, neighborhood, just like everywhere <laughs> in the world, uh, yeah. in his house, and gave us a, an awesome chat, man. I really loved oh, man. getting into it with Frank. I love your
2: your war stories with him, dude. That's the kind of shit I can just sit back and listen to.
0: We, had, I mean, that's one thing. Like, you know, I won't get into it. We didn't get into it on the podcast, but, you know, with, with success, is, you know, there's always some people who have fucking something to say, you know? And, <laughs> frank took some shit along the way he's he's had barbs thrown at him for a number of things if there's one thing i can really get behind that guy about i saw him at the ground up and i saw him when he was really starting to build his solo career and that was a focused hard motherfucker who was willing to go anywhere in the world with his guitar and play his songs you know that guy would get on a fucking train and head to like Israel and Palestine, just with his guitar, pretending to be a tourist. You (laughs) know, and and seriously, you know, and things that were like I and I think he knew it. That's where he came out of the hardcore scene and he's a smart guy. And I think he knew if you want that love and you want that credibility, you gotta fucking you gotta drag yourself for a while, you know, and you gotta and you gotta work for it and you gotta do it and you gotta let everyone see it. I think he was always smart about that. You can't take that away from someone. Yeah. You can never you can never devalue someone else's hard work, you know?
2: Yeah, I always I mean, my famous line, uh, any time I talk to like a young artist or band, I'm like, I think that that most upcoming artists or wannabes think that there is talent, luck and hard work, and I think that commonly they think you pick two of those. <laughs>
0: right.
2: That if you can if you can master two of those, then you can get f- Famous, you can have a successful career. But the truth is, I've never met anybody that didn't have all three. There's a, there's a, you know, there's very few, there's one or two, maybe, that you can hold up and say, what about so and like, but for the most part, you got to do all three.
0: I think, yeah, to an extent, you have to have some. I, I definitely think I would. I would lean more towards luck and hard work for sure. (laughs) Come on, dude. You're talented (laughs) as fuck, Benny. No, stop it. No, No, this wasn't a reach. This wasn't a reach for. for (laughs) Maybe it was. Feed me. (laughs) Feed me. I need it. I need it. I'm trapped in a house. You know, you know that little kids, they don't, you could make them the most beautiful meal, takes an hour, you know, and they just walk up to the table and throw it in your face and go do something else, you know, very unappreciative. It's easy to lose your confidence with little kids, oh, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. The parent fail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, Frank was smart. He didn't make those, so he gets to still cruise wherever he wants. Um, but, yeah, I really enjoyed this interview, especially getting into, you know, our, uh, our time tra- trapped in Sweden together. Which was a really interesting week. One of those like flashbulb memory touring weeks. Like for some reason, the things inside of that week are super clear and illuminated. It was like one of those really interesting uh, turning point kinds of times. And I'm glad that Frank was there with me. And that that thing I brought up in the interview. I know I said it in passing, but I was in kind of a bad. I was having a bad night. The one night that Frank and I wound up in a hotel room by ourselves drinking a bottle of wine and having a good human conversation. And I really did appreciate it. It was, uh, you know, when you tour with people, you know, there's sometimes like the tour person and the regular person. And you kind of got to eventually, you know, someone long enough and they meet in the middle, you know. But I, I really value those real moments when you just find another person and get to be raw with them yeah you know? no
2: that's that's immense dude
0: i love it so without further ado let's listen to
1: it going oh, okay you. great excellent um, I'm just close um, hey door frank
0: then- <laughs> hey buddy how are you oh you know just hanging out? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, I, I, I've been saying to people, it's a bit like the first couple of days after you get back from tour forever. Yeah,
0: forever, yeah. yeah a it's just,
1: yeah, it's like we just got back and, and it's like, it constantly feels like tour ended two days ago. Or at least if you can convince yourself of that, then it feels less awful.
0: Well, there's a strange part of it. I've been thinking that people of our ilk are just kind of better suited for it in general because of the... You know, either the the self um, the self caused disruption that we give our own lives, or the disruption that you know the the lifestyle itself lends to us, kind of goes part and parcel for what we're doing, which is
1: well, yeah. I mean there's that whole thing of essentially just getting used to just making do with whatever life throws at you which is I think one of the main things that touring life has taught me is it's just like something happens and you just have to adapt to it immediately do you know what I mean there's no point in pissing your pants and crying about it it's happened get on yes. with it do you know what I mean so yeah, well, so yeah that was
0: yeah that was my biggest thing get, you know getting accustomed to being a full-time touring musician was uh, you know acquiescing control was essentially right. like one of the first things i had to give up just just understanding that there's moving parts at work that yeah. have nothing to do with you and you can't control and you'll drive yourself right. crazy trying to do it. Yeah right? yeah
1: just just fucking sit tight and wait until it's your turn to do something.
0: That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so do you have like you know i kind of have like a flashbulb moment when i realized this was something to be concerned about to like oh shit this is a this is a fucking thing. Like, did, do you have a specific moment when you kind of
1: really yeah, ingested I mean, it that way? Well, uh, the thing for me that was uh, weird and led to one of the weirdest um, four-day sections of my life ever was that I was on tour in the UK. I was doing a solo tour, and it was me and my wife, Jess, was on tour. And do you know Micah Schnabel from 2Cow Garage? Uh, I know the band, no in personally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Mike Mike is awesome and his wife, Vanessa Jean Speckman, partner, I should say, Vanessa Jean Speckman. So, those two were on the tour as well. And we were just having the best time. You know, we were playing kind of like 1500 caps around the UK, solo shows, really cool atmosphere, everyone having a great time. And the news had been coming through, you know, from China and then it was in Italy. and And I was still a bit on the whole kind of like, you know, SARS and bird flu and swine flu wasn't yeah, all that yeah. big a deal. It'll be fine, kind of vibe. And then um, we, so we were in the middle of this tour and we had a day off. And on the day off, the government did in the UK did a press conference in which they said, um, basically, this is going to be bad, but we're not bringing in any like like government enforced restrictions and anything right now. But it's probably a good idea not to gather in large numbers. And we were like. Right. What the fuck, man? What are we supposed to do with that information? Do you know what yeah, I mean? It's like right, right. We, we've told us that we can do gigs, but that it's probably a bad idea to do gigs. So we had this four, so we had that day, and then we had three show days. And the first, the, the, all those three days, I spent the entire day on the phone with my manager and my agent and having phone yeah, conferences yeah. and talking to my tour manager. You know how it is, just sat in the production office all day discussing the morality and the merits and the technicalities and all the rest yeah, of it. Yeah, sure. And the first two shows, um, we were both like uh, fifteen hundred cap venues. They were both sold out, and everybody showed up. We had people clicking people in because I wanted to see, like you know, is there a right, significant right, right. proportion of people not coming? And and people did come, and you know, the atmosphere was amazing. Um, and and I, you know, obviously on the one hand, I don't want to do something that contributes to things getting worse, but at the same time, this is what I do. I've got a contract with the promoter and with the venue, and indeed with every ticket holder in my opinion, yeah. It's as well.
0: tricky. It's a tricky situation. What what date was this about?
1: This was, um, I can answer that question if you give me a minute um, <laughs> by looking at my calendar. This this was about the kind of middle of March, about the 12th, 13th, 14th, yeah, 15th of right. March. Um, and then, so we did Bath, and then we did Aylesbury, and then the third show was at South Southend. Um, and by that point, the kind of conversation in this country, particularly online, had really shifted. And yeah. people were getting really pissy about everything, and like scared and angry. And I was getting a tonne of grief on social media for continuing with the shows and you know, people being like, oh you're a murderer. Oh, and it's okay. like, right. re- really, dude? Um and uh and then at that third show, the three in South End, we had about fifty percent attendance versus gotcha. tickets sold. So. And and with no disrespect to anyone in South End, the vibe in the room was a little bit like last call in a bar. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, the kind yeah, of people yeah. you uh-huh. have to kick out of a bar. Um and <laughs> right. it just it didn't feel good anymore. And I came off stage that night and I said to Tree, my tour manager, I was like, we're we're done here. We yeah. need to go home. Yeah. yeah and yeah. then funnily enough, the following day, the government announced actual lockdown.
0: Right. Yeah. It seemed it seemed like the a strange trickle down progression that everybody had to go through. I mean, I'm about yeah. as paranoid as it gets. Uh, you know, (laughs) as much as like a doomsday prepper that a, uh, you know, a guy who lives in the city could be, and, and, you know, it it was hard. Like we're both living countries currently where the, uh, you know, the information getting fed to us from the top too, is awful, awfully confusing and usually tied to, uh, other things that benefit the people saying it or or not. So, so yeah, it's, it's hard to, um, come to a hard conclusion, especially when you're in a position to, I mean, it's not like lives are on the line because of you specifically, but you are in a strange position of uh, of forging ahead or not.
1: yeah, Man, you know, what you and I have spent the last two decades of our lives doing is making a living out of traveling and gathering people together in crowded rooms, which are the two things that we're not now allowed to do. I know. So it's a fuck time. The one thing I would say, and I mean, I'm speaking more to the UK right now because obviously you guys have your own... Issues, should we say? He said well, politely. What's that? Um, um, uh, well, you know, drinking bleach <laughs> and all that shit. Um, but like um, the the it's a, there are a lot of people in this country. I let me phrase this right. The, one of the things I think that this whole situation has highlighted is there's a lot of people who've made it their business to be furious and outraged about something 24 hours a day, yes. regardless of what the world is actually doing. And sure. the problem with that approach to life is that it leaves you nowhere to go when genuinely bad things actually happen. Yes. Do you know what I mean? If, yes. you're, if you're constantly furious when things are kind of okay, and I'm not, again, I'm talking, this applies differently to different parts of the world for obvious reasons, but like... Um, you know there's a bunch of people who are now furious at every single thing that our government does because it's a Tory government and I didn't vote for this government and I understand that some people don't like them uh, uh, extremely and all the rest of it and that and that's legitimate but it's like there is a part of me that's like guys this has never happened before in right. our lifetimes yeah. and it's just it's like the uh, the expectation that any government anywhere with the best will in the world is just going to land it first time around yes. is Kind of unrealistic. I mean, and you know, one can look at, there's a big debate about what's happening in Sweden. There's a lot of people talking about how New Zealand have handled it well and good for them, you know, but it's like the idea that like the decision in the same way that the decision for me to pull the tour wasn't nearly as easy as some people on social media wanted it to be. I mean, they were like, oh, dude, just cancel the tour. And I'm like, cool. Yeah, because that's, just a simple thing. Yeah, to it's do. like
0: I don't have like a pre-existing contract with every single place I'm about to play. There's been the right. money exchanged. There's yeah. a long, long complicated. I mean, I tried to explain that in another podcast too where there's a reason you saw everybody delay their tours, right? Because you know, at first, you're you're desperately trying to hang on to that date. So you don't have to yeah. reneg all these contracts and redeposit money right. and do
1: all... Yeah, it's a, yeah, a, a, it's a complicated of, business. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's taxing uh, so, on that level. Yeah, but so on that level as well, I'm a bit kind of like, the decision by any government to introduce a shutdown that just kills the economy stand dead is not something that someone's going to be like, oh yeah, cool, that sounds like a good idea, flip the switch. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think the idea that people hesitated, that people were sort of like trying to um, figure out what the best things to do, do is not necessarily a sign that we're governed exclusively by bastards. I mean, I say all of this um, you know, we we yet to have a prime minister telling us to drink bleach. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I, I think um, I think the one thing you could you you would at least expect, right? It's like so. I you know, I'm I'm a nearly forty year old professional drummer who talks on podcasts and shit. Like, so when I'm opening up a report, I, I realize I'm not an epidemiologist, and I realize right. my scope. And I'd like to have the trust or the faith in the fact that the people who I voted for, the people who I hired for the job are better than me at this. Yeah. And I sure. think, you know, someone such as myself going into a situation like that would just err on the side of caution if like lives were at stake. And I'm talking yeah, about a government, yeah. not you, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, I, talking, and I man. think, I think that's where the, you know there's a few days it seems with most countries where there is like uh, uh, less of a, um, a boots on the ground but more of a philosophical approach on what to do like mm-hmm. like there's a a measured response that is probably smarter in the long run but maybe a couple people are going to get sacrificed in the process yeah. and and it's a it, it's a strange ground but like you said it's a uh, it's never been done. So yeah,
1: well, we had this very strange thing that happened over here, which really fucking ground my gears. That for a while at the beginning of the shutdown, the government's uh, chief scientific officer and chief medical officer, who both strike me as reasonably together and honest and intelligent people, mm-hmm. and they've been kind of leading the briefings over here, were talking about herd immunity, and right. it yes. turned out to it turned out to be a PR disaster. And the reason yes. it was a PR disaster is that people are fucking morons, right? <laughs> it's like the bottom line is is if you just think about it for a minute, that's how you get over any sort of new diseases that you reach a certain point whereby enough members of the population have had it and have have antibodies in the system. And this is a much more realistic and quicker and easier way than getting a vaccine or getting a cure and all this kind of thing or at least that is a valid scientific approach to the problem but everybody kind of went so you just want to kill everyone and, and it turned into this uh, PR disaster so they ended up rolling it rolling the whole thing back and it just one of the other things that I think this whole situation has highlighted which is less good in terms of social media and the way that we interact with each other on social media is that every fucker thinks that they're an instant expert on social media yes. and, and the yes. small version of this for me is that all the people who are tweeting me advice about how to run my fucking Tour and it's like cool. I didn't realize that you had twenty years of experience in the live music industry. Do go on, um, (laughs) you know what I mean? Uh, But but similarly, it's just it's like you know everybody is. It's like not all opinions are equal. My opinion is not equal to the chief scientific officer of the United Kingdom because I don't fucking know anything about epidemiology. Yeah. So you know, and there is just an awful lot of people who uh, they've sort of gotten used to social media being a place of validation. Do you know what I mean? And like, there is a big part of me that just wants to run around going, "Shut up." just for five minutes, shut the fuck up. Yeah. And that's not because I want to kill debate. I do think debate's important. And actually, there's a fair amount of scientific debate and lack of consensus about what we're doing. Yes. And I think we need to get into all of that. But I'd like scientists to have that debate, please. Yeah,
0: yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, and that's, I think that's the issue right now is um, people, wh- where do you get your information and where you do trust that sure. information is, is maybe the biggest problem. But the one yeah. the one thing I keep thinking about in terms of social media trying to spin it positively. You know me. Hmm. I want to try to think of things a certain way. And you know, even like I opened up a new Malcolm Gladwell book yesterday, right? And Right. and I'm reading uh about the the lack of communication between Cortez when he landed on Mexico and the Aztecs essentially led to the death of 20 million Aztecs yeah, within sure. not very long. You know? Yeah. Um and one thing I always think about in, in approaches sure. like that is if social media and some version of globalism exist at that point, there's another rational society somewhere else in the world that's like, no, 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 no. Like, yeah, yeah, you, sure. you probably shouldn't do that. Um, Absolutely. That, that's I mean, not I mean, a good I mean, idea. And, yeah. and there there is that aspect of social media. It's like. Yeah. I think we're reeling in what exactly is the fuck is even happening with social media, you know, as far as... Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's the communications revolution that is, yes. I think, is equally as important as the industrial revolution. And I, and again, it's not surprising that collectively, as a species, we're kind of stumbling around in it. And I don't think that anyone's particularly to blame for that. And you know what? I, I'm, you know, me, I'm an optimist <laughs> as well, generally yeah. speaking. And like, you know, the, a lot of people have made this comment, and I think it's a valid comment, is just to wonder what all of this would have been like if it had happened 20 years ago. Yeah. I wouldn't be live streaming shows. I wouldn't be able to FaceTime my mom, you know, and like there's in a way we're very fortunate with all of the technology at our disposal right now in terms of the fact that it it makes a lot of this easier, you know? Yeah, Um, for sure. Yeah, you know and then the, but people talk about the 1918 1919 Spanish flu epidemic and like it's definitely not that bad um for various different reasons but one of them you know it is actually quite easy uh, or comparatively easy not only to tell people to for the governments or, and scientists and whoever to like communicate information with people but also for us to kind of exist you know I mean I'm incredibly lucky I live in a house that I like that I have a little bit of outdoor space and I have right. my wife and I have my cat and you know I can talk to my mom uh, my mom actually figured out zoom before I did which was <laughs> Uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I know. My mom is in her 70s and she was like, she sent me an invite to a Zoom meeting and I was like, what the fuck is this? Um, <laughs> that's so, hip. That's hip. Yeah. No, totally. <laughs>
0: um, that's one of the funny parts about all this. Uh, you know, obviously I've been tuning into like a thousand of my friends' live streams and shows sure. that are going on. I'm I'm enjoying watching uh, what people choose as their home backdrop. <laughs> did, did, did you did you give that any thought? Did you do yeah. some setup? Like what, what oh, did you yeah. do for that? Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, this was a yeah, absolutely. Um I mean, the the main thing from my point of view was more about damage limitation than about like image presentation. <laughs> right, it was right, just right. kind of like, you know, is there any like Nothing, I mean, embarrassing. nothing embarrassing. Nothing kind of that's going to like piss anybody off or start a conversation yeah. you can't be asked with. Not like, that I feel like I have a lot of that lying around the house, but you know, you yeah, just yeah. But want what to if you sure. read?
0: Yeah, what if you read uh, Dianetics in the '90s out of curiosity? you, yeah. know?
1: you, don't want, you know, you know, <laughs> well,
0: just this, want that sitting on the shelf. You know,
1: there's enough people watching that somebody somewhere is zooming in on the background. You know, know what, what I, mean? I mean? Thousand percent. Yeah, yeah, completely. And then I mean, also, so my wonderful and incredible wife Jess was. She was a bit more kind of like, we've got to tidy up. We've got to make. It <laughs> Nice right. and So she took care of, the, which is she was right. I mean, we absolutely should. So she took care of the kind of like aesthetic values, should we say? And I was more on the sort of like <laughs> political uh, damage control side right, of things. Right. Um, but I mean, also it was a bit like you know we needed to do it in the room that's next to the router. That's pretty boring, but it's like, you know, it's got, you've got to have good connection and all that kind yes, of thing. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, you know, it's a funny thing because like prior to this, lock, this is an interesting thing actually, prior to this lockdown, like Jess and I have had a bit of a kind of rule about not like giving too much away about where we live. Mm, Do you know what I mean? And sure. Just in terms yeah. of saving us, saving a little bit of privacy for ourselves. And we've become a lot laxer on that. Um, you know, because of what's happening. And it's just like, it does kind of feel like I'm inviting everybody into my house once a week for the live streams that I'm doing. Um, and you know, we've kind of settled into that and, and, and use out of necessity. But it's funny, like uh, two months ago, I would have been a lot more uptight about people seeing, um, you know, the inside of my house basically.
0: Yeah. Do you kind of, do you, do you find yourself like enjoying it or do you feel a little exposed?
1: Um, you know, I'm getting used to it, I guess, is what I would say. I mean, what, one of the other things in terms of playing a live stream show is that it's at the beginning, it's fucking weird. You finish yes. a song and aside from Jess clapping and the cat kind of giving me a funny <laughs> right, look, right. like very little happens. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, You know, and indeed, indeed there are parts of songs that you kind of get used to as a performer over the years sure, of kind of yeah. using the audience as part of the song, whether it's a clap-along or a sing-along or just drawing a section out or whatever it and might yeah, be. And you're
0: excellent at, exci- at, at inciting a nice crowd sing-along. I, I didn't even think right. of that, yeah. But,
1: but yeah, you, so you get to that point where you're like, sing it, and then nothing happens. <laughs> I,
0: th- like, oh. I think I have a solution for you right here.
1: Which you is. know, p- people are looking for
0: new ways to make revenue, right? So right. maybe you um, host a Zoom meeting in conjunction with <laughs> your performance where 12 tiered. Paying uh, right. fans like VIP tickets. VIP tickets. They sit on <laughs> an alternate laptop on a Zoom chat, and every time you finish, woo! You got I like it. You got twelve people ripping it. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, you friend- might want to give that money to charity so you don't look like an Yeah, a asshole, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. My buddy Sean McGowan, who's a great, great songwriter yes, from the yeah. UK, he was he did this wonderful thing. He had a sound effect of applause queued up on his That's laptop. Awesome. Next, year. so he finished the song and he pressed play, and it's like. I love that. <laughs> He's like, thank you very much.
0: <laughs> to to take a quick shift, what, one thing I've been thinking about in regards to what's going on is like, you know, my, my mom passed away five, six years ago, but she was in a, a strange situation when she passed. She was in assisted living, very anxious. Um, and I I often wonder in the last six weeks, wow, what would have this been like? if she was still around. Like, what, yeah. what what have we been doing? How would she have been reacting? And it's a, a strange parallel to, to look at. And I know something a lot of people deal with in this time is, like, how to manage their substances. You know, a lot of people are drinking more, doing more drugs, yeah. doing things to compensate. That's something you've essentially removed as a crutch from your life, for the most part. Yeah, and yeah. um, like, how do you think, you know... You, Frank... You know, eight years ago, ten years ago certain versions of you <laughs> that I've come across in in my time like
1: how do you think yeah. that guy is dealing with this? Uh, not well. I mean it's funny I was having this conversation so I, I, I live with my, my wife in a house now. I used to live for a long time in a flat um, uh, not too far from here in North London uh, with my buddy Dave Danger who's mm-hmm. one of my very best friends but yeah, that was yeah. definitely like our kind of like um, bachelor flat for want of a better term and it was a very um, messy place in every Sense of the word messy, Um, and you know it was a pretty chemically altered place from time to time, and all that kind of thing, and like, and it had no outdoor space, and I sort of feel like if um, if I if this had happened five, six years ago when I was still living there, I think that me and Dave either would have like killed each other or had sex or both um, <laughs> by this point. <laughs> you know, it's like, it would, it would, it's, it does. Just, it's just trying to, to feel something. Yeah, but, yeah <laughs> exactly. You know, and it's, so yeah, it's, it is, that kind of thing is interesting to think about. And that brings me on to like, I mean, I think like a lot of people, when this first came in, I sort of said to myself, oh, well, you know, it's the great leveller. It's everybody's in this together. And then you realize after a while, when you think about it, that's not remotely true. Not true, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, that kind of thing, who are suffering, experiencing very, very different things right now. And and not even necessarily that, just like my buddy Chris is one of my best friends. He lives in a flat in Camden with no outdoor space. And both of his daughters kind of came home and they've got like five of them living in a two-bedroom yeah. flat in Camden. And I think he's having a fucking nightmare. Um, and And he's definitely not somebody who's like financially suffering in the, you know, he does well for himself. Right. Um, and, and yet, you know, his experience and my experience of what's happening right now are pretty different. Um, and that's interesting to me. Um, I, I feel incredibly grateful, you know, day in, day out for, uh, the situation I found myself in when this has happened.
0: And like, um, you know, how's, like, how's your head? What are some things that, you know, if you used to use <laughs> something else as a crutch, like. What are the kinds of things you're doing to you know relax yourself after you read the news or yeah uh, well, or, th- or calm down at night and just be able to take a minute and and tune out and relax like what, what kind of stuff are you using to do that
1: um well I mean it's a- it's a funny old thing like i mean first of all i, I do still drink and, and like right. um uh you know we've had some we definitely sort of my wife and i've got into a habit of like trying to ha- to have like at least two days a week where we don't drink because yes. otherwise you just get shit-faced every day Same um yeah. and <laughs> <laughs> which is 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 not brilliant so we've been working on that kind of thing i, I te- i'm trying it's not dumb frank it's not brilliant
0: but it, but it's you know seven days a week is worse than five so yeah you know yeah yeah it's true it's um, it's better it's But
1: uh, also, like, I mean, um, I'm I'm trying not to read the news all that much. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, like, I tend to kind of scan the headlines on the BBC most days to see if there's anything I really need to know, you know. But at the end of the day, I sort of feel like there's not masses of use in me being a news junkie right now. And historically... You know uh, that kind of thing has not been great for my own mental health, being glued to social media and glued to the news and all that kind of thing. And it's generally speaking a thing that I've been trying to phase out in recent years. So um, I'm trying to kind of not spend too many hours down my, well, maybe not my laptop because I'm doing a lot of recording right now. Um, but you know, close the Twitter window, close the Facebook window. Do you know what I mean? Don't yeah. waste your time with that shit. It, I don't think it's healthy. Um, and then I'm, I'm reading a lot. Um, uh, I mean, I read a lot anyway, but I've been reading those books I've been putting off. You know what
0: so I mean? Which, uh, what, what kind of stuff are you getting into?
1: I re- I, well, at the moment, I'm reading the new Bill Bryson book, which is amazing, yeah, but sure. um, I recently read uh, a 1,000-page agrarian history of Russia in the 19th century, which has been on my bookshelf. <laughs> I've been shying away from it because I knew it was going to be a monster. That's a and it was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I got there. Um, but the, I think yeah, the one other thing I would say that I think is really important is that like um, I have good days and bad days. I think we all sure. have good days and bad days, right? You have some days where you get up, you get shit done, you feel productive. You feel like, you know, and I'm I'm writing and demoing a new record at the moment. I'm 16 songs in. I'm feeling really good about the material. Um... Uh, but there are days when I, the, I start realizing after a while, there are days when I wasn't productive, when I was really down about everything and I get really frustrated. I'm really like upset and scared about the future of my career. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Because I have sure. no fucking idea when I'm going to be able to play shows again, yes. which means I have no idea when I'm going to be able to make money again because that is my income. Um, And I'm not going to starve in the short term, we'll get evicted. But at a certain point, that's going to become a major issue. Yes. But yeah, so you have good days and bad days. And I think one of the things that I've kind of, got into the mindset of as this has gone on is being forgiving with myself for having unproductive days. Yeah. If you get up and you're having a day where it's just not landing, it's just not coming together. You know what? Just fucking watch Netflix. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And don't, and don't like punish yourself because you didn't get through anything on your to-do list today or you didn't create something new. You know what? It's okay to have a few days where all you do is just sit around in your pants and watch telly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an easy thing to forget is like, You know, it's a strange thing about this not being war or this not being something so tangible, you know, like you can still look outside your window and there's this ominous, invisible enemy out there, but things look the same. So you're like, if I'm trapped in the house, I should be doing this and this and this. And it's easy to forget, like, hey, you're in a
1: crisis, you know, right? Just just step back and take a day
0: Wrap your head around it, you know, you'll be
1: yeah. all right. Yeah, well, yeah, completely. One one of my other things that I've been doing, which I would recommend to everybody, is that like I've got into the habit of like calling rather than texting. Mm, yeah. So if, if it, because you don't see anybody other than whoever you're isolated for with, sure. and I, I'm very fortunate to be isolated with my wife because she's amazing and I love her, but like, you know, there's it's just the two of us for a long fucking time now. Yeah. yeah. So like, if a friend of mine texts me and says how are you doing, I'll call them back. Or like, in fact. Generally I like FaceTime them back because it's like it's just good to see people, you know? Yeah. Um and, and even if it's you know, through a screen and through the internet and all the rest of it, like in, in a normal day on a normal part of life, I would sort of just reply to a text with a text and a WhatsApp with a WhatsApp or whatever. And right now I'm trying quite hard to actually go, you know what, fuck it. First of all, no one's busy. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And, <laughs> but it, you know, just, and even if you just chat for like five minutes, just call somebody up. So like, for example, you, you know, Jim Ward from yes. um, Sparta? Yeah. yeah. So Jim texted me about something, that something random we were working on last year, the other day, and I just called him back. And I was like, what's up, dude? And we had a chat. He was in El Paso. I was in London. And we, caught, we shot the shit. We caught up. And it was really fucking nice to see his face.
0: I love that. You know, that actually, that actually leads me to some regret. Because I remember we finished the tour together and made a pact to start writing letters to each other. <laughs> and you actually like held up your end. I get home and like three weeks later, there's a lovely penned letter from Frank. <laughs> that sat on my desk with uh, like the intention of writing back oh, for so man. long and then it Dude, went away. I'd like, completely
1: forgotten about that. <laughs> yeah. So that's my fault. Man, sorry. I forgot. Dude, too. it's okay. Well, I don't know about you guys. The Postal Service is completely fucked over here right now. So it's okay. It, look at us. We're, we're having a conversation right now.
0: That's true. I guess it's a brave new world. Maybe postcards are, are purely for nostalgia at this point, um, mm. but it does make me think of uh, our time in Sweden, our week
1: where yeah, the, we- <laughs>
0: the week trapped in Sweden. So, oh my goodness, yeah. yeah. So, so, for a little context, this is a fun story because uh, you know it was a Gaslit Anthem, Polar Bear Club, Frank Turner tour this
1: was, it was our first tour together
0: no or it was it was
1: uh, march 2009
0: yeah yeah and we we played in in gothenburg sweden which you would think is sort of a you know safe place to be parked in a hotel i uh, got a little drunk with our driver Gunnar bear and uh, listened to metal all night and we woke up to the van being smashed and, and a lot of gear stolen um well not too much gear mostly merch actually you lost some merch too right that was in there Yeah yeah, yeah. and uh you know being from the states we're like oh you got to go to the police station right and like get a report and you know file for insurance like everything we were used to so we drive to a police station in Gothenburg. I mean, they couldn't give a fuck. Like <laughs> they're like, "Ah, uh, yeah, like what do you want us to do?" I'm like, "As eh, something doesn't something happen?" And then we realize like we're starting to run late. And basically the plan for that evening was we had about a 6-hour drive to Stockholm. We were going to get on a ferry, board a ferry and take like a 16-hour ferry ride to Finland. So Tavastia
1: and yeah, Helsinki, yeah.
0: yeah, right. Where there'd be a day, you know, basically a day off, then a show, then another day or two of travel, and then back to Stockholm for a show. So essentially, it was like five days of of that were to go to and from Finland, right? Four or five days. Yeah. So we realize we're cutting it a little close, and we start hauling ass from Gothenburg to Stockholm, only to get there to watch the ferry leave, literally watched it leave uh, but yeah. all while staying in touch with Polar Bear Club and Frank being like, hey, don't get on
1: yeah, Cause yeah, if, totally. If, because, you, cause yeah, like if, if, if you guys you, weren't there, there was no show,
0: right? Yeah, exactly. No,
1: totally. I remember all of this, and yeah. like, and 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 then it was like, uh, for whatever reason, the timetables were such that there was no point in us getting on the next ferry because we'd still miss the gig. Yes. So we we end up facing the situation of we had like five days in Stockholm, which now, is
0: yeah, like the most yeah. expensive city.
1: Me right, totally, your- and also, like, I mean, I, I, this is this is the part of the story where it gets interesting, because I have my memories and my version of this, and I'd be very interested in yours because for me in Polar Bear Club, there was like six, maybe seven of us in a van yeah, driving yeah. around, and um, we had fuck all money. Like, I'm yeah. not in any way like being the fucking no, like, no, I know. An attitude about this, but like, you know, with the sport bands, like, our, yeah, our I, rem- I remember blood.
0: what we paid. <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> but yeah so we were just like shit what are we gonna do um and we got one hotel room yes for seven yeah. people yeah, like and yeah. not a big hotel room I no might add. And, no you guys were sardines yeah and and god damn, we were all like sitting on the floor we were sneaking past the front desk getting in and out there and i there is no polite way of saying this that room smelled like assholes. Yeah. And, and like, it, it was just, it was miserable. And the thing was, so what we started doing, and I can say this because I'm now a happily married man, and this was in the past, but essentially we got into this habit of like, okay, we've got to go out and we've, someone's got to get laid, because if they get laid, <laughs> that's going to free up some space in the hotel room. Um, you know, and it's just, it's like, almost everyone was like, boys, lower your standards. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't really matter. Just, it's like, whatever's going to make more space in the hotel room. And I'm pretty sure that nobody succeeded. No, like, I am not <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
0: i mean you can imagine polar bear club being i mean literally the sweetest group of upstate new york boys that you could ever meet like like that just the last group of people you would imagine
1: are going to take over a city with sin, you know? <laughs> no, completely. And like, it's also just that thing about like you know, in, in those days of my life when I was carefree and single and all the rest of it, it's like if you're trying really hard, it's never going to happen. You know right, what I mean? Right, it's right, right, like, right. And 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 I just have these memories of kind of sitting in like rock bars in Stockholm, nursing one beer for as long as I could make it last because they were so fucking expensive, and sort of trying to make eyes with every single person in the room. <laughs> And then completely failing and then walking back to this shitty hotel room and sleeping on the floor next to like Trevor Backer's asshole. Yes, Yes.
0: <laughs> and I, I remember one night, one night in particular that you and I had found a reprieve. We basically were like, we were supposed to go out and meet everyone, but we found ourselves alone in a hotel room with a bottle of wine. Yeah. And we were like, you know what? This is a the, unique opportunity right yeah. now. Don't go, sit, don't leave. The yeah, room is empty. To sit with one <laughs> other human, have just yeah. like a rational human conversation and drink a bottle oh. of wine. And then I remember we went to that I fell in love with that place, Garlic and Shots, which yeah, is yeah. which is a literally a garlic bar where their um their main shot is, is vodka filled with garlic. Um uh, And yeah, but what a nice time. Which isn't going to help you get laid,
1: incidentally. But
0: what's funny, (laughs) uh, you know, even being in Gaslight that time, like I also had no money, especially while we were there. Oh, yeah, sure. You know, and and I do remember, I I don't know where you got it from, but you took me to Pizza Hut.
1: (laughs) And and I, I appreciate that, Frank. Uh, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a, you know I, I, this is why I love talking about this stuff with with people from because fuck man that was eleven years ago. You yeah, know yeah, I mean? yeah, and yeah. Everybody's sort of memories of it are going to be slightly different. One, one of the other memories from that tour, just briefly, that I love is um, the guys in Polarbear Bear Club. God bless them, some of the nicest guys. Yeah, great fucking band, 100%. but they were having some internal conflicts. Yeah, right. And I was riding in their van. I was sort of paying them a few you know, a few bucks a day to for gas and that kind of thing to ride in their van. But as the tour went on, like um, relations were getting pretty low between some members of the yeah, band and yeah. their tour manager and driver Trevor and I got on super well. And in fact, Trevor's still a very dear friend of mine to this day. And I, I see him every time we're in Portland where he lives now. Um, and uh, the two of us were slightly kind of like sat up front listening to the, back, the bickering in the back because he and I are the same age and the rest of the guys are a couple of years right, younger than yeah, us. Yeah. And we felt a bit like sort of, parents listening to our kids argue or whatever and later on in that tour we went we would we went down south and for i think we played in like um vienna i think we played in vienna and then we had like a travel day and then we had a show in milan i think it was um and I was looking at the map and everybody wanted to kill each other and the thing was like I was the main support on that tour so I was getting a little bit more money than Polaroid Club were and I was doing really well on merch on that tour I was selling my own merch and I was shifting a lot of shirts a lot of CDs so I had some money by that point in the tour and in the end what I did was I looked up the map and I discovered that we could go and stay in a coastal resort in the north of Croatia just on the Italian border (laughs) with like a swimming pool and like a beach and it was cheap as shit so what I did was is that off my own back out my own Pocket, I went and got everybody in their own room and like didn't tell them where they were going. I put the directions in the sat nav and I was like, just trust me, motherfuckers, we're going to do this. And we got there and it like everybody just like eased off the gas a little bit on the arguments and it got us through the rest of the tour. That's gangster. That's some real. Puppet master work there, friend. Yeah, you know, I mean, I felt really good about it. I mean, like I say, this place was, it was literally like 20 euros a night for a room or something. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to spend 120 euros or whatever it was to to make sure that nobody murders anyone because that will be the end of the tour. (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) it was so fun. I remember on those tours too, especially when we were doing particular, like the UK and Germany, you know, there's sometimes, you know, we did it to other bands and then we took some bands out that did it where you're, You're watching an artist play at a certain time and you're like, oh, this is really connecting and this person is going to be much bigger than they are right now. And you were definitely (laughs) one of those people that it was like pretty clear when it was happening. You're like, oh, there's going to be a time when like we're
1: opening for Frank in England. Matt, you know what? Those were my first ever German shows. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I remember sitting in the backstage of The Underground in Cologne, which was the first show, and thinking to myself, oh my god, no one in Germany is going to get this. They're not going to understand the lyrics. They're not going to understand the references. This is going to be a fucking disaster. And I went on and everybody lost their shit. And it was like, oh, okay, Germany's cool.
2: Yeah. Hold on one quick sec, Benny. I just need to interject very quickly. Open Your Ears Records has just released a debut full length from the band called House and Home. It's out right now. These guys are from Richmond, Virginia. Check out the single. (laughs) which i don't understand consequences for the things that i could never plan no man's an island so it doesn't matter
1: where i stand cut the lights off leave the engine
2: running yeah that's house and home with shrunken head they're single to get more information and in order at oyerx.com that's oyerx.com open your ears records
0: So there is a couple stories that I wanted to bring up because when you when you graced me with a couple beautiful things in your past, I remembered the Pizza Hut in Sweden because I, I gotta remind, Swedish Pizza Hut's not American Pizza Hut. That's a gourmet restaurant. Like you're right. sitting down, you're getting a tall, cool beer, you're getting some strange toppings on this thing. Like like it's expensive and nice. And then we did another tour in Germany where, you know, Brian Fallon, who for a long time just has notoriously awful teeth, right? Like uh, he he didn't take care of him when he was younger, and it bit him in the ass as an older man. He'll talk plenty about it. I'm not talking shit. And we were in Germany. Um,
1: I don't remember the city. Maybe you could. I, I uh, do. You know what, dude? This was the same tour. It yeah, same, same tour. tour. I know. This and if a- we were in we were in Austria. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty oh, sure. Yeah. We were in it's, Graz in Austria.
0: That sounds about right. And and yeah. Brian, out of nowhere, has to get emergency uh, uh, oral surgery to get an infected tooth out. So, you know, we're in Europe. Of course, they don't believe in real drugs. So Brian yeah. essentially, you know, is, <laughs> is given, like, two Tylenols and then this guy just ripped, I think a woman actually, just ripped the tooth out of his face and gave yeah. him again, like, two more Tylenols and sent him back to the show. Oh, but... Yeah. This happened right... So we're literally sitting on the side of the stage telling Frank, uh, Brian, just got his tooth out. Give us like 10 more minutes.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I and remember it, being in the middle of the stage and you guys yeah. were just going like, keep going, keep going. And I was like, I've got to save like a banger for the finisher. Do You know what I mean? So I had, like, yeah. I had like photosynthesis held back or whatever. And it was just like, I'd finish a song and be like, is it time? And the audience is standing there being like, why is this support act yeah. playing so <laughs> yeah. fucking long?
0: I mean, and I do think it was like... In the end, it was like a 90 minute to two yeah. hour support <laughs> slot that you had to do. And we were sitting on the side the whole time, like at, like at an award show when you want someone to talk longer. You know, you're doing that stretchy thing with your fingers. Like yeah, you yeah, yeah. A year from the <laughs> side. And then Brian walks in, literally like his face just like swollen and exploded. Yeah. And, you know, he's a bad guy. like, thank you very much. Yeah. And he doesn't, you know, Brian doesn't drink. He doesn't do drugs. So he just gets up there you know, somehow gets through like a 70-minute set still, which at the time was shorter than what we were doing. And in classic uh, German kid fashion, we walk outside, and they know damn well Brian just got a tooth ripped out of his head, and, yeah. and they were lucky to that we even played anyway. And, of course, the first thing we hear is, ah, you do not play as long as you normally play. Why <laughs> is this?
1: Yeah. Uh, oh, God go, damn it, is there go, anything... Go, but- you're more persistent than a
0: German, you know.
1: Like- God bless the Germans. I mean, like they have no filter, and it's a cultural no. thing. And, and, and there yeah. are there, is, there are angles on it that I find really like admirable and endearing. But like I do too. I, I remember years ago, it was one of my one of if not actually my first like mainland European show. I was opening for a band called the Levelers, an old British oh, band, yeah, yeah. and uh, we were playing in. Um, I'm pretty sure it was in Holland, but there was a German guy who would come to interview them. And there was one big dressing room. And I, I, I know the Levelers guys pretty well these days, but back then we'd only really just met. So I was kind of sat in a corner trying to keep to myself. And this interviewer came, came in and he sat down with Mark, who's the singer of the Levelers, in a corner pretty near me. And I was like, you know, just trying to read my book and stay out of the way. And the interviewer sat down, put his his tape recorder on and his opening question was so the levelers. used to be pretty good now not so much <laughs> <this."> <laughs> oh, The classic. <laughs> and the classic. it was just
2: like what the fuck <laughs> and the thing
1: yeah. is god bless him the guy didn't really seem to grasp that there was anything like no, wrong yeah. wrong with the question and um and i just laughed my ass off you know and mark yeah, just looked yeah. like he'd been stung by a bee in the mouth you know <laughs>
0: There's two things I've realized about Germans in that conversation. One is good and one is bad. Okay. So at first, I you know, the first couple years I'm there, I'm like, oh, this is a language barrier, right? You know, they just don't get what I'm saying. I don't get what they're saying. And then after a while, I'm like, oh no. Like, this is the way they are. And they actually like will give you the most brutal, unsolicited advice that you've ever yeah. heard in your life like it's it's totally. it's it's horrible
1: but <laughs> I've, I've i've had long conversations with german friends about this and they explain that it is a thing people just talk to each other more honestly there. and yeah. and as i say there there is a level on which i'm kind of like maybe that's actually a better way to be as a society
0: well the one thing i'll give to them is like it's hard to hear and i don't always enjoy it um but the one thing i'll give to germans is like they're going to buy that record and then they're also going to buy the next one and they're going to yeah, buy yeah. the one after that it's like yeah. It's like they're on the ride with you. Yeah, so yeah, those very low so audience. So yeah, so they almost feel like, okay, this one wasn't so good. What are you going to do next? It's not like we're giving up on you. We're yeah. curious we didn't like this one as much, but you know they're buying your Yeah, I mean, if how many bands have you seen at German festivals that you didn't even fucking know played anymore yeah. because because <laughs> they just put out their yeah. 13th album and it's You know, biggest sales point is is Hamburg or something, you know? Yeah, yeah,
1: totally. They're they're just crazy loyal like that. You you know the guys (laughs) in Fake Problems, yeah? Of course. Yeah, so Derek Perry. Um, I did a, some a, quite a lot of early doors touring with those guys, and Derek's argument winner with me. I love Derek's pieces. We'd have these very friendly, but like he quite a, combative. A,
0: a brilliant guy in a lot he of ways. He is a
1: very, very smart dude. But yeah. yeah, we'd have we'd have these long kind of debates in the back of the van as we were driving around the U.S. And if he was ever losing an argument, his ace card that he would pull out, which he regarded as an argument winner, is that Marilyn Manson is still big in the UK and Europe. And he was just like, Marilyn Manson still headlines festivals, go fuck yourself. And I was just kind of like, I've I've got nothing. That was the the ender. Yeah. I love that. So I have a
0: theory, Frank, that you can help me with. Since, like, you and Ian Perkins are just like, you know, the most British people I know. So you're the ones (laughs) I, I need to dig into this with. Okay. Even though Ian's losing his accent, next time you see him, you got to give him shit.
1: I Um, saw him in Toronto recently and I gave him shit, but yes. Okay, good. Yeah.
0: He doesn't sound right anymore. But (laughs) (laughs) so I've always wondered about like the British cultural cushion with music. Okay. Let me explain this. Okay. So I feel like some artists, particularly from like the classic rock genre, if they're American, they seem to be put in like a different light. Than their British counterparts and their antics aren't really like historically recognized in the same way. I'm talking about say like the doors, Janis Joplin. Uh, I feel like it took people until like 2005 to realize the beach boys were important. Um, <laughs> and you know, and then take somebody like Nolan, Liam Gallagher. I feel like if they were American with different haircuts, they're like a laughing stock, you know, and, and they're not, Taken as seriously, they're like good Charlotte. So, so do you you think there's like any truth to what I'm saying? And if there is, like, how could you explain this to me at all?
1: Um, that's an interesting theory and an interesting question. Um, I think that like, uh, let me think about this for a second. I mean, like, uh, there's we're a smaller country is one thing. Um, uh, also, there's a degree in which. Not exactly the same way, but there's there's a level on which I almost say something similar back to you, the other way around. Do you know what I mean? Mm, I would sort of say like you know ah like well, and this isn't necessarily about classic rock stuff, but when it comes to like punk bands, for example, since 1977, if you want to be a punk band, you want to be an American punk band because like people in this country give way less of a fuck about punk bands that we and we produced some great punk bands in that time Um, and. They're just sort of taken less seriously. People give less of a fuck. Even like when I was a kid growing up, being into like, you know, F tough and fat wreck stuff, there was what precisely one band from the UK that was part of that scene, which was snuff. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and stuff was, stuff were great, but like that, yeah, yeah. that was almost, that was their unique selling point was that they were yeah, British. We're the British and it was like, one. Yeah. Wow. You know, and, and like there was just nobody else, um, in the running. Um, so I guess it, part of it is just, And and it's a funny thing because like my music taste, looking back at it now, you know, I have a rep for being somebody who includes my sort of, National identity in my music. That's a sure. shorthand way of putting it. But like, it's a funny thing because my music, my record collection is predominantly American and Canadian. Um, you know, most of my favorite um. bands are American. Um, and even just stuff like, you know, um, for me, it's all about Black Flag, Minor Threat, Dick Kennedy's, and then on to like Descendants, No Effects, all that kind of thing. And indeed, Nirvana and Shellac and blah, 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 blah. And a lot of kind of great British bands that were around at that time, it took me much longer to kind of tune into. Huh. Um, and, and I think part of that is because, the, you know, the American band seemed exotic and exciting and and, and all the rest of it. And I guess on some levels, it's sonic taste. But I mean, and speaking of sonic taste, by the way, and I, I know some people listening to this will not appreciate the sentiment, but I have to be honest, I fucking hate The Doors. God damn it. <laughs> here, here. I'm, I have about, to get, I'm with you. Okay? I have to get up early every morning to get, just have extra time in my day to hate The Doors. Like... <laughs>
0: So what is it? So that that's almost exactly my point. Is like, I feel like if there was a guy in Birmingham with fucking leather pants and beautiful hair, taking his clothes off on stage and walking on cars and saying he was the Lizard King and shit, I feel like you guys would have loved that stuff. That's Robert Plant. No, he was the golden god, wasn't well, no, no, he But it's a similar Oh, I see, I see, I see, I see. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> The, the, but guys, like, but, but, the guys who stuff sausage into their pants. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Right, but then right, right. but then, interestingly, like, Zeppelin were always bigger in the US than they were in the UK. Always. Right, 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 right. And, and similarly, like, there's other stuff, like, I was chatting to somebody about this, I think I was chatting to Corey Brandon about this the other day. Um, uh, um, Black Sabbath were bigger in the UK. Ozzy Osbourne, much bigger in the States. People huh. in this country didn't really give that much of a fuck about Ozzy Osbourne. He was enormous in the '80s in America, right, and right, in a right. way, it felt a little bit like America was like, "Oh, we kind of miss Black Sabbath. Let's pay attention to this." Um, but it was nowhere near as big a deal in the UK.
0: So maybe, maybe it's simply like a socio-cultural thing due to accents, right? So, yeah, like, you know, even in America, I, I could meet... And this you know, this is a stereotype I'm willing to to let out so people can help me with it, right? I could be talking to a fucking brilliant college professor in Macon, Georgia, and I just deep in my head will go, "Oh, are they not as smart because of this and and i, I <laughs> it's it's not my fault. I'm from New York. I've been bred with certain things. I realize sure. philosophically when i'm when I'm listening to this. Person that they're as educated as anyone else, but there's just like that little thing inside that's like, oh, wait, is that a thing? And I feel yeah. like <laughs> British accents, just like yeah. throughout the world, are kind of used in this version of maybe like class and education. Well, and if it's like the, yeah. smarter music and stuff like I, that, I, it's taken I, more I, seriously.
1: I mean, Again, again. Well, so the, the, what that brings to mind for me is the fact that, like, it's a stereotype, and it's true that, like, right. if you're if you have a British accent and you're in America, and it makes talking to uh, people you're trying to, trying to chat up much easier, yeah, because it's it's a unique selling point. Again, like we say, but then um, on the flip side, like you know, American friends of mine when they come to England, most of my uh, female English friends who are single will then kind of get very excited about that, um, <laughs> right, right, right. you know, so. Uh, so it, again, it, it cuts both ways. It's interesting that the British accent thing internationally is really funny. Like, first of all, uh, in a way that I don't think happens the other way around. When I'm in America, like every fucker wants to try out their British accent on yeah, me. yeah, and, yeah. and it's like cool, thanks. Um, it just seems a little bit weird. Do you know what I mean? Like, and then suddenly, like when it, when Americans come to London, everyone doesn't go, oh wait, check out my American accent. It's just like not that a thing you never do.
0: That is true. Yeah. And for some um, reason, the default British accents are always either southerner or like super nerd. Like when, uh, like when Richard Pryor used to do a white guy. Like that's yeah. that's the accent for some reason is like well, over the top I- nerd white guy. Like, well, wow. one of the things
1: that one of the things that always comes out is the fucking um, Dick Van Dyke from Mary Poppins, who famously couldn't do a Cockney accent. Uh, and um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm in fact, I'm not even sure if, if people outside of England know this, but like Dick Van Dyke's accent in Mary Poppins is the the worst car crash in cinematic history. It's worse than, some- than than Costner in Robin Hood. Uh, oh, infinitely worse! <laughs> Whoa, oh, okay. That's quite a lot. And it's funny because like that is the accent that most Americans do when they think they're doing a an British accent. Right, I'm just like, right, right, right. And you, Dick Van, and the weirdest thing is, I'm reasonably sure Dick Van Dyke is English, um, and for some reason, just does this absolute butchering of Cockney. Just sounds uh, like
0: the Bob Hoskins on cocaine or something.
1: Yeah, it just it's it's just fucking bizarre. The other one like that actually, and again, I don't know how many people know this, but um Frasier, which was a really big show over sure. here. Um the 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 girl who plays the nanny who gets right. together with Nar yeah. from Manchester, uh-huh. her Manchester accent is a fucking embarrassment. Is that right? Sound, and she's oh, actually from there? She's from, well, she's not from Manchester. She's from England. Um, But they asked her to do, as far as I know, and I might be wrong about this, but as far as I know, they asked her to do a regional accent for the show. And she did her version of a Mancunian accent. And because it's an American show, nobody went, that's fucking awful. What are you doing? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Everyone went, wow, yeah, that sounds authentic. But like people in Manchester are just like, Jesus Christ, what is that supposed to be?
0: People get confused. They think there's one like universal British accent. I remember I learned uh oddly enough online with ian perkins at graceland you know right. we're we're in memphis we're online and there's a couple like older british women who are you know uh, tourists as well ian hears them talk of course ian being very gregarious starts speaking to him yeah uh you know like oh look we're british people in memphis let's talk and uh before you know it they are fucking taking the piss out of ian calling him like a rich snobby southern uh you know elite like and this is, ian Which is Perkins. the last thing i'd ever say about yeah, ian he's like fucking ali g to me and these women are just <laughs> they're just taking his fucking pants down it was so funny and it got awkward fast where you could see like ian got pissed they were pissed right. like there was like an but obvious was, like thing with from yet. like
1: Were they from, like, Newcastle or Liverpool or somewhere like that? They weren't
0: that far north, but they were pretty far north, yeah.
1: Right, okay. I mean, it's funny, you know, the UK has a lot of accents packed into a small... Area of the country. I'm a southerner from this country. I grew up in Winchester, which is south of London, even. Right. Yeah. And um and uh, I remember the first time I went to Newcastle and encountered a Geordie accent in the wild for the first time. I couldn't fucking make head or tail of it. Right. And Um. <laughs> you know, I was I was a teenager, but nevertheless, it was. I got in a cab in Newcastle and the guy was like, Yeah, you fucking. <laughs> uh, I can't do a Geordie accent, as anyone listening to this can now tell. Sure. Um. And uh, And you know, I was just like, What did he just say? I have no fucking idea what he just said. It made me feel terribly kind of middle class and indeed southern
0: <laughs> so that actually leads perfectly into uh you know after what i read is you're performing 2345 shows or so it's quite a few good for you mm-hmm. uh you finally decided to do a live album from newcastle speaking of geordie yes uh, yeah so h- how did that come about was it very pre-planned and was the location <laughs> yeah. planned how did that um,
1: go So basically, we did this tour last year that was very different from what we usually do. Um, Broadly speaking, the music I make exists somewhere between punk rock and folk music. That's an oversimplification, but it will serve our purposes. And in terms of the live show that I've been doing, particularly like for the last sort of six or seven years, I've been leaning very much on the punk end of that for the live show. The live shows, you know, it's about energy, jumping off things, getting a mosh pit going, getting the crowd moving, whatever it might be. And that's all well and good, but it's not the only thing that I can do, and indeed, not the only thing me and my band can do. And um, we'd been discussing for a long time, trying to do a different vibe of show. So we put together this set where we were sitting down... The audience was sitting down it wasn't quite unplugged because there were some electric instruments on stage but it was just yeah, doing right. kind of like a folk set you know and and within that like the song choices were pretty different from what we usually do okay. there's a narrative arc to the set list I'm telling stories it's kind of an autobiography in, in a way um, and you know it's 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 a it's a, it's a, in the large part inspired by a lot of stuff like you know the loud and wayne special on Netflix which is amazing um, and that kind of thing you know it's it's kind of like an evening with kind of vibe. So we did this tour and we did Canada, USA and the UK. And um, by about halfway through the USA run, like we'd really settled into it. We were in the pocket. It felt really good. You know, at the beginning, I was kind of worried that people were going to leave the show feeling shortchanged because we didn't, play Forcible Words, and I didn't stage dive, and there wasn't a mosh, uh, but, right, right, right. And actually actually, it wasn't that at all. Like People were into it you know, um, for what it was. Um, so we started recording the shows, and we recorded about 25 shows, I think it was. Oh, okay. And then at the end of the tour, I sat down and had the extremely tedious task of going through all of those oh, wow. recordings and trying to find the one which at the same time was our best performance, but also with the best rapport with the crowd and the best sound and all that kind of that thing. That sounds Not terribly least, confusing. Right. <laughs> well, and also the thing was, you know, I, I didn't want to do edits. Like it is right. a live album. That yeah, is us yeah. playing a show live. We've mixed it obviously, but we haven't sure. chopped and changed between shows or like re-recorded anything or auto-tuned anything or anything like that. So, it you know, I'm, I, I sort of, for me, if you're going to do a live record, do a fucking live record. Right. You know, that whole thing of like yeah, retracking yeah. stuff or whatever. It's like, what? Just make With a studio support. album. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, uh, apparently, famously, um, Judas Priest live in Bookadan. The only thing on that record that's actually recorded at Booker Dan is the crowd noise. Is that they right? End up re- <laughs> they retract everything. Oh. Um, Which sucks. Yeah, that sucks. Um, That sucks. But but yeah. So we um so and we put it together. I picked the show. Um, my buddy Tristan uh, mixed it, and it's a thing. We were I think we were planning on releasing it kind of at the back end of this year, um. But then you know everybody's stuck at home. Yeah. Um, What happened? Something happened. (coughs) Yeah. I don't know. I haven't (laughs) read the news lately. Um. But yeah, so we just thought we'd get on with it and get it out. And on and on the on the as we're speaking today, it came out today. And uh, I, I'm it? very, very proud of it because I think it demonstrates a fair degree of kind of depth for, for me as a songwriter and us as a band. Um, and it's very different from any other live records I've done in the past or indeed from a lot of the records that I've released too. And and some people caught that show, but we didn't go everywhere. We didn't tour Europe. We didn't tour Australia. Yeah. We did a limited American tour. And, and, and I, I wanted it to be documented for everybody to hear. And now they can.
0: That's awesome. Though one thing I wanted to bring up, since you know, I'm not sure if it's widely conceived out there, is like how, to me, at least in my eyes, how how fiercely loyal you've been to the guys in your band uh, through the hmm. years. You know, even advocating for them to be paid in a different way. Uh, you know, paid as members of the group. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of times, you know, people don't recognize the importance of not only getting people to work but really be invested in what you're doing and do you think that if you hadn't approached it that way you'd be dealing with a different group of guys by now and and
1: Uh, maybe i mean it's sort of it's it's a symbiotic thing just in the sense that like part of the reason why i wanted to recognize their contribution both presentationally and like organizationally and financially, um, was because they had displayed such loyalty to me. Do you know what right, I mean? It kind of right, grew right. together. Like a lot of the early tours that we did, those guys are getting paid fuck all because yes, I didn't right. have any money. Um, and you know, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, immediately like a good career move for any of them from <laughs> their point of right. view. And they stuck with me on the understanding that they thought it was going somewhere. You know, um, and definitely we've had our like difficult moments over the years. I mean, like any band would. It's a slightly different dynamic to a regular band simply because it's my name on the masthead, but like we definitely been through some pretty tense moments when it comes to talking about sort of money and recognition and all that kind of thing. But like, just even something like those guys having a band name, The Sleeping Souls, was something that I was really keen for them to do mm, um, and and let them pick a name. Do you know what I mean? They ended sure. up picking a lyric from one of my songs and that's cool. But like, you know, it, and indeed they turned down all my suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to call them the 1970s because they were all born in the 70s and I was born in the 80s. So it would be pretty Frank cool, Taylor man. in the 1970s. I thought that was a great name for a band. Yeah, but they pretty were hip, just like
0: actually. Yeah, I mean, yeah,
1: they were like, you're making a sound old, you motherfucker. Uh, um, right. So uh, we didn't go with that one. But, like, you know, I, it, it is, loyalty is an important thing to me. And it, even like my touring crew, you know, um, yeah, right. there are people yeah. on my crew who've been with me for more than a decade. Um, yes. And, uh, like, interestingly, like, we had a new lighting engineer come in about three years ago. Um, and she used to work for a lot of kind of big. Pop acts, I shouldn't really say who, I suppose, but like, you know, she's worked for some like major league, um, big indie bands, pop acts, stuff like that. And she sort of said to me reasonably early on, she was like, this is definitely the nicest, most like familial crew I've ever been on. And what that meant was that she was like, I want to stick with this, even though we probably can't pay her as much as some other people can pay her. Um, Not least also because of the consistency of the work rate. I mean, obviously, that's now a slightly different thing, but generally speaking, like, there are people in bands who will get paid more per day than I can right. afford to pay, but those are bands that will do four weeks of shows a year. Mm-hmm, you know? Whereas right, I can right, turn sure. around and say to people, look, it's not as high as a day rate, but you're going to be employed all year round. And um, and you know, we've got to a point now where for the musicians of the band, it's a pretty comfortable existence these days. We have a technical crew set everything up, we drive around, we sound check, we play a show. It's not a bad life.
0: Now what would happen? Are they like you know, I don't know how we're, are they like legally allowed to go out and play their own show as the Sleeping Souls? Oh, yeah. Like, how does that work?
1: Uh, well, I mean, as the Sleeping Souls, that's an interesting question. I mean, they've been discussing the merits of making a record as the Sleeping Souls with like guest vocalists on every song, huh. which I think is a fucking cool idea. Yeah, that'd I'm be cool fun. About yeah. it. Um, but I mean, you know, Nigel has Sad Song Co. Um, Matt does a fair amount of kind of like soundtracky type stuff on his own. And like um, uh, Nigel, uh, Tarrant, and Ben are sort of on and off still in a band called dive dive that they were in mm. before I met them oh, yeah. and, and like I have I, not, not only do I have no issue with them doing that I'm, I'm all about it I think it's cool as shit you know um, that sense of people getting out of there the only thing that I really require is, is kind of um, precedence do you know what I mean? Like, if, yeah, right, right, right. If, sure. if, if the if the if the fucking Elvis Costello support slot comes in, we're not going to not do it because someone's <laughs> got like a because you have a show. dive
0: dive show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. Makes
1: sense. Yeah. And I don't mean to say that in a way that sounds like belittling no. to what they do, it's, it's, but like yeah. you know, that's that's my only real requirement. But like, and you know, the thing is, like, I'm the youngest guy in the band, and we've all been doing this. We've been a, a unit now for like twelve years, including right. Matt. And mm-hmm. it, Matt was the last guy to join. I mean, we've been doing this for a long time. I. You know, I hope that everybody wants to keep doing it for a long time, but at the same time, you know, uh, we'll see what happens. But it's funny, like Million Dead, my old band was in, that I was in. We were banned for four and a half years, and we wanted to murder each other for the last two years of that. <laughs> and I do pretty regularly think about the fact that, like, in the grand scheme of things, we're doing pretty fucking well. You know, nobody's stabbed anybody like ever. <laughs> um, and and you know, we we everybody has their moments. Of course, they fucking do, and everybody can like. Um, bitch about everybody else yeah. for at least a solid twenty four hours each, but that's the nature of being in a band. It's the nature yeah. of being in a family.
0: Family, yeah. Exactly. Um now it's funny you brought up a million dead. Mm. Um because I had just read you're working on, you know, some new material. And mm. the quote the quote I'll read back to you.
1: <laughs> oh shit.
0: This is you. I'll give you one word which is aggressive and we'll leave it there. You know, I did a dance pop record, I did a folk record, and obviously a large part of me is rooted in the world of punk and hardcore, and I'm missing that, so that's all I'm going to say. Well, it seems like you said plenty.
1: I mean, yeah, got, I know. That's, that's, that's <laughs> I'm such an asshole. That's my attempt to be cryptic.
0: Yeah, not, not very cryptic um, <laughs> at all. But speaking of which, now that I assume you're making a semi-hardcore record, um, I know you were a hardcore kid, you know, growing up. Yeah. Uh, so I just want like, what's your like all time favorite hardcore record? What's the or even like more specifically, what was you know people who aren't into hardcore don't realize the many levels of hardcore you could be into. You know? sure. it could be moshcore guy, um, metal, yeah. you know, youth crew. Like, like what kind of scene? Yeah, I'm out of in hardcore.
1: Um, well, so my first real exposure to it was the UK HC scene in the late '90s, and one of the things about that is it was so small that it meant that all of the kind of like. Musical divisions that you're talking about didn't really matter. Do you know what I mean? You'd have yeah, bills where you'd have right. Five versus Five, who are straight up braid style emo band, on the same bill as Knuckledust who are sort of old school hardcore, um, on the same bill as Imbalance, who are like super fast, techie, like melodic hardcore. Yeah. You know, it's it sort of there weren't enough people for the for the scene right. to splinter beyond that because yeah. there would there were only like fucking twenty five people at a show anyway. Right. You know, um, so it was a really really healthy atmosphere uh, and and a really nice sort of introduction to all the different corners of it. Um, I guess personally, I would say my favorite kind of like hardcore without any like prefixes or suffixes um, records would be the early Knuckle Dust records. They're a London hardcore band. They are still going, actually, funnily enough. But um, they the, the first two EPs they put out and the first album they put out, Time Won't Heal This, were just like absolutely fucking classic um, old school, like kind of beat downy, but like generally yeah. old school hardcore. Fucking I better fucking- be with
0: a name called Knuckle Dust.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. Except, except, of course, they always said that it was like it's because he's got dust on his knuckles because he doesn't fight anymore. Oh, you see? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I mean, right. I'm, not, I'm not sure how much they stuck to that as time went by because they yeah. got quite a lot more tough guy in time. But um, Listen, nevertheless, a
0: reform tough guy is more more terrifying than a current one. I would say,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, that. But then beyond that, like my major thing was kind of like um, the sort of like Boston kind of uh, mm. n- not quite math core, cool, but the stuff that kind of led up to math core. Cool. So I'm talking converge, about like Botch, cave in. Converge, Converge, Cavin, um, Early Dillinger. Sure. Um, you know, adding you know stuff like Acme and um, yeah. Neurosis um, and Catharsis and those kind of bands. That was my absolute kind of passion. Cool. You know, and and I mean, like Converge remain one of my all time fucking favorite bands. Yeah, um, still out there I, for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I sort of Converge kind of spoiled hardcore for me to a degree. <laughs> Why is um, Just just in the sense that like they're so good that yeah. like every time I sit down to listen to hardcore I go over like so I listen to this or this this and this no I'm just going to listen to converge again yeah do you know what I mean that's fair. Like,
0: that's fair
1: yeah although actually what there's a there's a few obviously there's some great bands I'm really really into grind um so stuff like nails and discordant saxes pig right. destroyer that kind of thing I'm really into also I mean Kurt from converge um, put me onto a band called Knut who were a oh, Swiss right. hardcore band mm-hmm. from the kind of mid two thousands? Because I, I was, I know Kurt Little, and he's a lovely, lovely guy, yeah, and cool. you know he's in one of my favorite bands. And I sort of was saying to him like, "Jesus Christ, where do you guys get your sound from?" Kind of thing in a slightly fanboy kind of way. And he just went, "Dude, listen to Knut." Oh and I no went, shit! Oh, okay. So yeah, Knute, Knut K N U T. They're fucking unbelievable.
0: Alex and I tried to get Gaslight to record with Kurt so many times.
1: Oh, we did one time. We did. You did. Do we it. uh, yeah, we we did some B sides with them. We, in fact, That's one awesome. of the main things we did with them was a cover of Somebody to Love by Queen with Kurt from Converge at the desk. It was oh, very I fucking strange. It.
0: And so, and what are your um. Is there any hardcore bands currently that that you're really into, or contemporary? You know, thing?
1: I I am I am not super up to speed. I'll be honest with you. Do you know what I mean? Like, sure. um, uh, I go through phases of kind of paying a bit more attention to what's going on. Um, but I'm the wrong person to ask about what's happening right now. I mean, to be honest, at the moment I'm like locked into this like death spiral with 70s country. So, um, wow. yeah, oh, so what kind of stuff? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I've been a Merle Haggard fan for a long time, but I've just been getting like super like the last couple of weeks I've been listening to a lot of like Doug and Rusty Kershaw um, uh, that kind of thing like, you know, just like real kind of like FM 70s country, Loretta Lynn um, yeah that that kind of territory.
0: Awesome, I love that. So I want to we got to wrap this up. I think we're well over an hour. I figured we would have a wonderful conversation, you and me I've,
1: I've had the most fun.
0: Yeah um, so I've heard people talking, you know, this doesn't always apply to me because, you know, sometimes I go to sleep stoned. uh, But I heard people talking a lot about in this time with with different anxieties and panics, uh, their dreams being a lot different, Mm. more vivid, uh, and a little more illusionary to their real life. Have you had any experience with that?
1: Um, I've been having weird dreams. Um, Yeah. sort of hope that they're not all that illusionary to my real life. I had this okay. really I had this really vivid dream just the other day that Jason Isbell died of a heroin overdose. Oh no. And like I know Jason pretty well and obviously the whole thing with him is that he's a recovering alcoholic. Yeah. And he's sober and he's one of the nicest dudes and he is one of the best songwriters in the world. And it's such an unlike, this would never happen. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It was just like, there is no universe in which this would happen. But it happened in my dream and it was like really stressful. And I was getting loads of calls from journalists to ask to comment about it and all this kind of thing. And I was like, I don't know what to say. Um, uh, So, yeah, so that didn't happen. (laughs) Wow.
0: (laughs) that's intense
1: yeah i know and i sort of woke up being like did i eat a lot of cheese before going to bed or something like, the <laughs> yeah fun,
0: I, I don't know if i've ever seen the jason isbell chapter of the dream journal but <laughs> we gotta look yeah into this. yeah
1: here it is <laughs>
0: <laughs> well frank man thanks a lot for coming on i appreciate Dude, thanks it thanks for having me man and, uh, it's been an absolute joy yeah i send all my love to you and your people over there
1: you know what, man, like once this lockdown lifts, I'm I'm going to get, I mean, I've always been a hugger, but I'm going to get super back into hugging. Oh, dude. <laughs> so the next, the next time I see you, I'm giving you a motherfucking hug. Yeah,
0: when Big Daddy gets his paws on you, I'm going to let that thing marinate for about 90 seconds. <laughs> you don't worry about that. You know
1: what, and here's the thing, you know what the sign of a real hug is? What's that? A real hug. Tell me. Hips touching. Yes. You know, when somebody, somebody hugs you and then you're just touching shoulders, go fuck yourself. That's not a hug. That's not it. That's not it. Hips touching. That's a fucking hug.
0: Hundred percent true. You got to be free to the experience. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. I love you, man. I'll talk to you soon, dude. What a pleasure, man. Take it All easy. Right. Bye.
0: All right. I love
2: it, Benny. I love those stories. Like I, I, I want to just. I mean, I can just listen to tour stories forever. You know. I don't know. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it holds as much for people that maybe haven't been been there. But you know, I always um, there's little moments, man, that make. It's not about getting up on stage and playing to people. It's. I mean, it, it's that's amazing. But like, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I think that yeah. Well, that's the nuts and bolts part of it. I think, like, you know, one thing I've come to the conclusion in over the years is. A lot of people, when you tell them about a story or you tell them about a situation, and they go, "Oh, like you're so lucky. That sounds so cool. I, I want to do that. I wish I could do that." And I think I even said in this interview, you know, like nine out of ten people can't do that. Yeah, you know, nine out of ten people are not willing to disrupt their own life and personal comfort and space and security and all those things enough to even put yourself in those situations. So I think that's where it's unique is like, you know, if you took, uh, six college kids who have, you know, kind of chosen a more formal path and threw them in Stockholm for a week, the kind of shit they got into, it'd probably be a lot different than what we got into. You know, there's people who are there for the journey there for the experience, especially in those days when, you know, money is, uh, not always a sure thing you know like you gotta hang on to the fact that you really believe in your music or really believe in what you're doing or believe in the people around you or else there's truly not enough things to make it worth it it's weird because
2: i was actually having a similar discussion with somebody recently and i was talking about how like when i think back to some of these epic tours that i got to do like the 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 cities are like a blur, right? But I can remember every. I, I remember all the nights off, right? Right? You know, like in weird places, or yeah, a lot of times the nights off were, were far and few between. So maybe that's why. But
0: yeah, no. But I mean, I think that's where it's unique. It's like after a while. No offense to these places, you roll into Kansas City. <laughs> you know, it's like I've been to this neighborhood. I know what's going on. I'm gonna be in the venue. You know what I mean. I got some emails to write. Right. Got to call somebody. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but you know, you have an off night. You find yourself, you know, taking cabs around the city, right. meeting random people, winding up in strange situations that make you uncomfortable and excited, which are the things that last in your head. Right. You know, if you know, uh, a six-hour van ride to Kansas City where you just ate some bullshit and you just really want to wash your face and take a shit and then you have to set up your gear yeah i don't know you start to get used to stuff like that right but the night where you you meet some local who takes you on a wild ride for a couple hours i'd always like to say never follow a hippie to a second location uh, <laughs> but uh <laughs> yeah i mean those are the nights man and, and like i said out of I I even that that situation we're talking about. I barely fucking remember that show in Stockholm. Right. I I know we played at the or I know it was a good show, but I don't have any like flashbulb moment of it. Right. And I can literally clearly remember uh, eating Pizza Hut with Frank. Right. Right. So yeah, it's strange. <laughs> it really is strange. The, but that that's one thing during Corona that I'm trying to remember, especially in the context of my kids. It's like what are they going to remember right now? Ugh. Like and what are they going to carry from this experience? And I don't think it's going to be those ins and outs and what's actually happening in the day to day and it's going to be like a feeling. Yeah. Uh and that's where I you know, I'm trying to like fake it as much as I can in front of my kids cuz that's like I think the thing that they're going to remember from this, you know.
2: Yeah, and that's like you know, we're having trouble. I'm having trouble homeschooling my son. And I just, I realize I gotta, I don't want this to be his memory to be just like being constantly yelled at about schoolwork. Right. So I gotta really like, I keep catching myself pulling back, but it's a good point. Like
0: those, are, those are the moments where I'm like, I'm like, if he picked up anything in this little lesson I just did, if he improved at all, and then we're both getting frustrated, like I'm out. Right. Because cause it's not, Important enough right now, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, like he's not writing his dissertation for Harvard. Yeah. Like, you know, if you both have to back away for a minute to improve your relationship and make the apartment feel better for a couple hours. Oh yeah, yeah it's fine. It's vital. It's fine. It's vital. Yeah, it's fine. You got other shit to do. but on a cool record. That's music class. You know. Yeah,
2: we've been doing that. I've been trying to yeah. expose. Uh,
0: What's what's the records? What have you been going
2: to? So I was, because my kids know a lot of good music, you know, especially, I mean, my daughter's 12, but, like, what I'm trying to do is share, like, different time periods. So, like, the other morning I put on um, 60s-era Stones, Rolling Stones, because I was like, you know, this is totally different than I think what a lot of people think about when they remember the Stones, at least... You know, when I got into the Rolling Stones, I wasn't listening to that stuff. I was listening to no. stuff from like the late '70s and. Sure. Um, but it's important because it's also just a, a, a weird. It's cool to listen to that music, man. It's totally different than like "Start Me Up," man. Listening to that goofy right, right. old, like almost Beatlesque, like pop music.
0: Yeah, it's like how many times can one band use a fucking vibra slap? You know. <laughs> So, yeah, it's, like, it's
2: mainly stuff that they kind of are familiar with, but I'm just trying to give them a different angle on it, you know?
0: You got to do it. That's music class. That's what I'm yeah. trying to do. I'm like, I'm like, if we're planting something in the garden, that's a class. Yeah. Or listening to music, that's a class. If they're painting, that's a class. Yeah. I got, I, got, I got my son to watch an episode of Treehouse Masters this
2: morning. Ooh, nice. That's,
0: you know? that's fun. There we go. <laughs> now, now I got a woodworker class. Yeah. You know? You're going to have to make Lucky. a
2: treehouse when this is over, Benny.
0: Oh, uh, I need a house. But I will. I know how to build one. I love Pete Nelson. That's like my my short list of people I want to hang out with is like Redman, <laughs> Pete Nelson from Treehouse Masters. Uh, and I don't know, maybe Will Farrell. Acting like Ron Burgundy, like if he never broke character. I think, like
2: to- I think Will Ferrell and it as anything. I don't, I don't think that guy is really ever off, man. I don't think you no, can I be can. Will Ferrell and not kind of be, always be Will Ferrell.
0: Yeah, my, a Will Ferrell blooper reel on YouTube has been getting me through some dark times recently. Yeah, I'm a big fan.
2: Anyway, but, I'm also anyway. a big fan of Jack Kearney, who just threw us a big wad of cash on Venmo. Um, people are awesome. being very generous and thank you thank you it we definitely can use this money I I've said that we're gonna relaunch, we weren't going to relaunch patreon but I think we might try and give it a shot we've got some bonus stuff that we could blow out um, if we do launch it soon I'll try and hook up some of these people that have been giving us these large chunks of cash and see if I can get you guys yeah. on there um, at least for a while uh, but so I guess just keep an eye out. I'll, you know, we'll tweet it out if we do get it going in the next few days or next few weeks. Um, and if so, uh, you know, thank you ahead of time for anybody that might go on there. In the meantime, yeah, we're taking we're taking cash at Venmo at going off track. If you want to throw us a little bit, it doesn't have to be huge, man. You know, you can Anything give helps. us a buck or two, and you can always give us another one next
0: week or next month. Um, but thank you. And I I feel like for you, Brad. It's more about the emotional stimulus it gives you, like oh. like Jack Jack Herney, You don't even realize how you add to the beauty of Brad's death. Well, these lo- these
2: people are locking us into this, Benny. I mean, you oh, and I, no. I think we're both kind of like, okay, we're gonna keep doing this as long as we can, and now we're like, fuck, we can't stop. These people really care. <laughs> can't stop. Can't stop. Won't stop. So yeah, you people are ruining my
0: life. You're locking oh, me into fuck this, you Brad. <laughs> Come no, on. no, no, no! I'm you're totally fine. lying, and especially you get, you're literally staring at me right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, what's wrong with your day? It's, it's amazing. It's beautiful. Look at these gap, beautiful these gap teeth staring you in the face. <laughs> and, Love uh, that gap, dude. Love there it. You go. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks to everyone. I really appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed Frank episode, and keep an eye out uh, next week for another awesome one. Yeah, yeah, yeah.